There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Uh, welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Uh, today, we're asking brokers how to broke and how to, to get loans and how to deal with clients and uh, and all the ins and outs of what's happening out there in the marketplace. So we're fortunate enough to have Randy from Sufficient Funds based in Sydney with us today. So we're going to chat to him. Uh, so Emily, I'm excited about this and I'm sure you are. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Randy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, um, it's great to have you on. And Randy, you've been serving a lot of the My Millennial community for a little while now. Yeah. Uh, what, what's happening in the in broker world out there? What are, what are rates doing? Everyone's <laughs> questioned to us daily, isn't it, Emily? It's like, oh, should we fix it? Should we keep it variable? What's what's happening out there? Yeah, it's it's a definitely a changing environment at the moment um, with everything that's happening in the local, obviously, environment economy. And obviously globally as well. So, at the moment, uh, the fixed rates are take, uh, definitely taking a bit of a, a move upwards um, compared to the lower rate that they were about two, you know, twelve months ago to you know two years ago. They were quite low under the two percent marks, but now they're they're definitely going up. Um, the variable rates are you know, still competitive, um, but there's predictions for them to be increasing um, later this year. To, to early next year. So it's just, yeah, I guess it's a movement upwards at the moment for the both for the variable and the, the fixed rates, but the fixed rates are the ones making the quick uh, jump right now. Okay, so we look at fixed rates, as you said, 12, 18 months ago, we could fix it one and a half, I don't know, 1.8, un- definitely under 2%. Can, yep. can we find anything out there to, to fix under 2% today or is that a thing of the past? It's pretty much a thing of the past. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we all try to beat the beat the banks, and and most of us end up losing. Um, <laughs> if we were to fix rates today, and and I know the rates aren't everything, but they're important on people's lips most of the time. If we were to fix rates today, what what could we expect for an owner occupier, principal, and interest? Uh, you could still get some rates uh, around the two two and a half to 3% mark is probably your your range of what you're going to be finding as of today. Um, but, you know, yesterday, day before, the banks have already started increasing those rates up up to the 3%, above the 3, 3% mark where, you know, other banks are just going to start following um, suit shortly as well. So it's usually the bigger banks that make the move first and then the everyone else kind of starts following through um, in the following weeks. So. Okay. Because mm. fixing at two percent or three percent is a big difference. So are we seeing early twos? Are we seeing two and a half? Are we seeing two and a half is probably where the the fixed rates right now. You can probably get some. Yeah. Okay. Um, where now that but the jump's going quite significant. The, the, they're increasing them by you know point three um, or point four, four or five increases at mm. the time at the moment. Okay. So they're taking big jumps. Mm. 
Interesting. Very interesting and always very topical about rates, but it's not always about the actual rate figure. I mean, we discuss that quite often that it's not always just about the rate figure. It's also about is the lender suitable for you and what um, product they actually have to offer you and based on your personal circumstances. And kind of leads into my question, I guess, particularly for those um, listening, maybe this is your first episode you've tuned into, maybe it's the first time you're hearing from a broker. Now, we all know, and I mean, John, yourself and I all understand the benefit of a broker, but to someone who has never sort of understood the difference between going through a broker versus going directly to one of the big four or, you know, directly to a bank, what what is the key difference? Maybe there's an analogy or some sort of explanation that would help define the difference between going direct to a broker versus a bank? Yeah, of course. So I guess one of the biggest um, conversation um, points that you know I have with with my clients when you know you're you're comparing your yeah, bank versus broker is I guess where I'm here hopefully for a long term where if they go into a branch branch they talk to a branch manager they talk to that person today next week is, might be a different person next month might be a different person where as a broker we're definitely here to create a relationship where it's not just a one shop one, one transaction uh, events where we're here for this first purchase or if it's your first refinance with us, but then six months or down the track, we'll, we're still going to be here long term mm-hmm. where that relationship um, can obviously build uh, for any future transactions down the track. Certainly. And I assume as well, you know, if I'm going into CBA, let's take for example, the CBA person's not going to tell me, well, actually, there's a Westpac product that could really suit you. Like, they're not going to tell me that, are they? They're, they're going to want to sell me a CBA product. So, I assume, and well, I know for fact that a broker would be able to independently recommend products across multiple lenders, not just the big four. They've got second tier, even third tier lenders to suggest based on somebody's situation. Yep, that's correct. So, like, on, on my panel of, of lenders that I have is about 30, 35 different lenders yep. that we've got access to. So, what you've just mentioned in, in that um, obviously comment is obviously correct that we obviously will shop around, we'll do the groundwork to find the most suitable product for a client situation. Every client that I see is different. Their their situation is different. Their type of product that they want is different. So to try find the right suitable product, we do that groundwork, we do the research for them and we come back to them and we present them a multiple different options of the most suitable lenders that uh, obviously that will suit their, their need and their transaction. Perfect. So just on that uh, that client experience, we, we get uh, a lot of commentary from various people around the country saying, uh, we got a loan through my broker and it's gone six months, nine months, 12 months, and I, I haven't heard from my broker. So uh, I suppose f- maybe from your internal company protocol, what, what would we expect is is standard follow up from uh, once we've got that loan processed and done and, and clients purchase the property, what would we see from there over the next 12 months? So, yeah, so our internal process, we, we do a 45 day check in to say, hey, just confirming your, your loan settled. Um, is there any, any questions, any, any feedback off the transaction? Um, and then if there's any, everything's fine there, we'll do a six month um, email that goes out. To just do, I guess, another just check in, make sure the accounts, loan accounts, repayments uh, are all going through normally. Um, and then we'll do a 12 month check in with the client to again check in, everything's going well, if there's anything else we can help with. Um, and just make and just making sure we're we're still front of mind. So if there is anything wrong with a loan or anything happening wrong with the with the lender that 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 the settled the loan with, we're still here to to assist. Then we'll do a two year, 
and then we'll do a four-year um, check-in as well. If we haven't, if every time we check in, clients fine. Obviously, we we're not going to pester people to you know do something with their loan if they're not wanting to to, to change. But we'll still check in. Yeah, the two-year, four-year, um, and then I guess we haven't really heard from someone for a long time. We might do like a six-year um, down the track um, check-in. Cool. All right, because uh, Emily, uh, you'd agree the common one for for clients or, or for people out there is, well, my broker, I've seen a better interest rate out there. Why hasn't my broker rang me and told me about it? Mm. Like, <laughs> it's it's, a, it's as though the broker needs to be on the on the standby, and as soon as the uh, as there's a rate release, the client needs to get the call. Um, like, is that something in your in your processes where you'd say, right, at that 12 monthly meeting or that follow up, you discuss what their rates are and maybe see if that's still competitive or not? It, correct. Yeah. So when, when we're doing those check-ins, we'll, we'll definitely look at, you know, potentially if there's any benefit we can add to them and just say, we'll say, hey, you know, we sold your loan 12 months ago, two years ago, the rates have moved significantly, either down or up. Let's let's review the mortgage. Let's see what we can do to, to better what you've currently got that we set up a while ago. So sounds like a plan. And I think expectation is key when, you know, it's a customer service relationship, isn't it? Through that broking process and hopefully a customer or a client for life. So it's good to understand where that those checking points should be um, generically across the board. Um, sure. One thing I did want, want to ask you, and it is a common question that pops up for first time buyers around pre-approvals. Um, so particularly in going through a broker, It'd be really good to understand what defines a conditional pre-approval because I think um, there's this notion of, oh, you know, look, the broker told me a, a rough figure of, you know, what I can can lend and that, that never gives me much confidence when it's a rough figure. Um, so maybe if you can just speak to the difference or what a buyer should be attaining from a broker if they're intending on being serious about their property search, potentially putting their hand up at auction, what should they have in hand from a pre-approval point of view in order to do so with confidence? Yeah, of course. Now, good question. So, so definitely as a broker, I can definitely do the groundwork and, and checks on a client situation to work out a rough figure to say, hey, this is your rough capacity um, to purchase a property. And when you're actually looking, this is the figure you can probably use if you're looking at just, you know, on, on the market where you want to buy. Um, that said, when I talk to clients about pre-approval, I ask them, are you actively looking? If a client is actively looking, I say then it's good, it's, you should be getting a pre-approval from a bank. Because the banks is the bank will also do what all the checks that I've done as a broker, but they'll go in a lot more in depth as well. They'll be doing the in depth analysis of your your credit file. They'll be looking at your you know previous employment history um, and, and you know a lot more in depth. So having that extra peace of mind from a bank to have, hey, I'm going to an auction. If if, if I'm a successful at this auction, if my broker just gave me a rough figure, mm. it's not really concrete yeah obviously we, we you know I, I back myself with the numbers that I, I provide a client but that extra peace of mind from a lender it gives the you know app you know clients and customers who are going to these auctions be more peace of mind as well yeah so that piece of paper from the bank say all right my bank's also confirmed this figure all right that's a little bit more peace of mind as well yeah okay so what are the downsides, Randy, of, of not getting a pre-approval? So someone says, well, I don't want to lock myself into a, a particular lender just yet. I don't know what property I'm going to purchase right now. Um, let's maybe assess that when the, when the time comes and I have got an offer accepted on a property. What are the downsides? Well, look, it's, it's one where I've had 
a lot of instances where clients have come to me, you know, in a rush. Hey, I found a property, want to jump on it. They've told me there's a lot more other, there's a lot of, sorry, there's a lot more buyers interested in the property and to jump on it quite quickly. We were like, well, where were you two weeks ago, three weeks ago to get this already pre-approved? Because a pre-approval, it's the bank doing all those upfront checks of employment income. So once you've got your pre-approval, the only thing you really need to do is find the property. So yes, some clients, they want to take that risk or they want, they want to have a pre-approval today with a specific bank. But that said, um, a pre-approval doesn't lock you in with that bank. So let's say today I do an application for a client and say, hey, we're going to go to ING. Today, that might be the best option, pre-approval. Might, the clients might come back to me in three months and say, hey, we're, we're, we found a property, but maybe ING right now is not the best product for us. Right. We've got ING as a backup. You've still got ING pre-approval there if, you, if we need to proceed with it. But we can submit, as a broker, we can still submit another application to another lender to say, hey, this is actually a better product for you. This one's actually you know, 5% lower, 2% lower than what ING is offering. Uh, just an example. Mm. Um, but um, that... It gives them more flexibility. You're not locked in with the pre-approval with a lender. And just um, seeking some clarification for listeners as well, should they be looking for like the definition of a conditional pre-approval and that meaning that their pre-approval is usually conditional upon a contract of sale, you know, and also the bank valuing the property, that's pretty a stock standard, I guess, condition of a pre-approval. You need to see what the product actually is that they've gone and bought and make sure the bank um, stacks up. Is that what people should be um, going forward for when they're actually actively house hunting? Yeah, so so just to cl- yeah, clarify, so the some lenders will just spit out what I guess what you kind of made me ref- referring to is a computer generated condition approval. So where that that kind of um, assessment is is really done by a computer. It's not really done by you know a, a physical person you know who's actually gone through the client situation in depth. Um, Look, it, it, it depends on the client situation. Every client situation's obviously some are quite clean cut, vanilla. You know, you, you've got probably no real concerns with you know using that kind of computer generated conditional approval uh, that the banks provide to, to to rely on. Because some of these banks they they tell us as brokers you can rely on these kind of conditional generated pre approvals from our systems where our systems are very sensitive to the information that you've inputted and to the client's credit file. So you can really rely on those conditional approvals if your situation is a clean cut. But if you're looking at a self-employed applicant who's got different trusts, different structures, that's going to be a lot more complicated um, scenario where I probably wouldn't tell a client to rely on that conditional computer-generated pre-approval. I'd be going to them and say, hey, well, look, let's, let's maybe have a discussion around which lenders actually do a full pre-approval um, assessment um, to have... Um, all those in-depth checks. So then when the conditional approval is actually issued, it's actually a, a more accurate conditional approval where it's only potentially only has on those conditions, as you mentioned before, to find the property and, and making sure the property is uh, acceptable um, and there's no other out-of-the-ordinary conditions that may, may become an issue later. So you just want you do want to have on those, on those conditional approvals just you finding the property pretty much. Okay, so I've got a pre-approval with a lender yep. and it's still in play. Uh, it usually lasts three months. Yep. Um, I'm a month in and then I find a property and I decide that no, this – or you, you you say to me, John, the, the rate's no longer attractive with this particular lender who we've got a pre-approval with. We're going for this new lender. Yep. Um, 
we go and get another pre-approval done with, so now we've potentially got two pre-approvals out there. Um, how does that affect my credit score or credit rating um, pending on how it was to begin with? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 good question. So it's definitely with, with um, I guess, your credit file. So the way the banks really look at that um I guess inquiries. It's it's one that's it's if there's multiple inquiries within like you know a short term, um, they're going to be questioning. Hey, why is the client gone two or three times to different lenders um, to to look at uh, you know similar um, loan amount? They're going to be well, what's what's happening with these other two lenders, three three other lenders that they've gone through. Why now they're going with through us? They're going to ask questions um, in regards to your credit file. Look, if you've done one inquiry, two inquiries, it's not going to make a, a major difference. It's not going to be an issue with your credit score. Um, it's more when you've got like five or ten inquiries within a, a one to two month period is really where it's going to start affecting your, your credit score. Okay. Um, yeah. So if I was applying for a personal loan, a credit card and a car loan, then I've maybe got a few issues. Yeah, but it's look. It's it's all question. Like the, the bank will ask the questions around it. Yeah. If it's all explainable, um, and if it all works within your you know your overall picture to the bank, then it, sh- it should be okay. The ability to tell a good story. That's it. <laughs> cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with some more broker-related questions. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, so uh, good stuff before the break. Just, uh, I suppose, some misconceptions there brought out to the surface, wasn't there, Emily, in respect to, well, getting a second pre-approval is not the end of the world, Mm. whereas a a lot of people think, well, yeah, I don't want to put another application in because that will ruin me forever. Yeah, totally. I think um, particularly, you know, it's a lot to do with once you've actually found the property, right? At that point in time, what is the best solution for me? And usually with settlement periods being 60 plus days, that is enough time for a broker to be able to rework the deal, work out who the best lender is and and away you go and you're not locked in with your initial pre-approval. So I'm sure that's a win for a lot of people listening that they might have 
learnt that as something new today. Yeah, absolutely. So just quickly, Randy, and, and obviously every bank varies based on where their back end is, is local or overseas, but what sort of turnaround time should we expect on average for a pre-approval to come through? Uh, I'd say probably a week. Is probably the average. All right. And and would that lengthen if we were, say, self-employed or a bit more complicated, if we had a larger portfolio? or Yeah, I'd say a week to two weeks if, if you're more of a complicated um, assessment sure. with the current bank turnaround times. Yeah. Okay. And the shortest time frames, like are the lenders out there that uh, you've got uh, a gold star rating with that might be a 24-hour, <laughs> 48-hour turnaround? There are a few lenders, yeah, within, within the same day. Um, they're getting back to us. Same so, day, yeah, same day, yeah. But though that is a computer-generated one, which is like, for example, Macquarie Bank. They're on uh, two hours assessment right. at the moment. So two hours for the application to be picked up, and then two hours for the assessor to assess it. Uh, the computer or the actual individual? Well, it's a computer, and it, I guess if you're doing a full application, it's a it's the same time frame as well. So wow, it's impressive, so isn't it? It's a very quick process. Systems down pat, yeah. don't they? It does yeah, vary lender yeah. to lender and you do sort of hear like who's in favour each month of, you know, turnaround times. But also I wouldn't let turnaround times deter you from a lender if it was the best solution for you. It's just um, depends on, you know, at one stage I remember one bank was like four plus weeks and everyone was mm. fuming. Yes. But they'd been inundated. Correct. when the, it, And I think a bit of a industry insight is when they release these cash back options for refinancing or they release something enticing to come to the bank, it's like they haven't thought about the aftermath of that and then they're just like, whoa, the floodgates have opened and everyone's here and what do we do? So just keep in mind that that can skew things as well. Yep, yeah, sure. totally. And and consider the, the heat of the market that you're buying into as well. Like you, I don't know about you guys, but I would maybe go with a lender that's got a shorter time frame to get it done um, in my conditions versus someone that's got a month as a turnaround time, for example. Is, have you seen much of that happen, Randy? Yeah, definitely. And, and it, it comes down to that conversation with clients and, and obviously what their, their situation is. Like I've got clients where I've had that initial conversation, hey, this is probably the best suited cl- uh, lenders for you. The, probably the more suitable one for you is on like a 30-day Mm. turn around time and they still want to proceed with that lender because it was probably the one's going to provide them the more lending um, but you do have that conversation to say what's the time frames of the lenders what's you know the time frame to purchase a property um, you know, obviously the quicker ones obviously what everyone's the quicker reply if, if possible but every client situation is different as I mentioned before where sometimes you can't just do it because of the time frames you have to go to that lender that can provide the the, the end result for them Yeah, cool. Um, Randy, I've got a bit of an industry-based question because it's always interesting how, you know, different professions adhere to certain guidelines or they adhere to certain regulatory bodies. When someone's, you know, potentially looking at a broker, is there like a base level of what that broker should have? For example, do they need to be a member of anything or do they need to have a minimum qualification or what would be the questions that you would be asking to ensure that the broker is meeting the minimum benchmark in the industry? Yeah, no, good question. So the two main bodies um, that we need to be uh, recognised in is called the FBAA mm-hmm. or the MFAA. Um, so either one of those um, you know, mortgage brokering bodies um, allows us to then obviously become a broker uh, and to actually write loans for, uh, for clients. So just be, so being a member of either of those would be sufficient? 
Yep, yep. There's also a minimum certificate for uh, in mortgage brokering that you need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the minimum for uh, to actually write a loan. So that is probably the, the key question to make sure that someone's <laughs> at least got that certificate. Yep. Um, there is a diploma that brokers go through as well, um, but that's not a, a you know requirement for for each broker to have um, because you know some some banks do require you to have that full certificate and diploma mm-hmm. um, up your sleeve to be able to write with that lender. So if if, if you're seeing a broker who doesn't have that full qualification, they may be limited to lenders. They may be limited to a lender because they don't have the full. Qualification, so that's you know more in-depth conversation to have with that broker. Yeah, that's you the goal. You're becoming a broker, Emily. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I've got enough on my plate. I was just looking for you know, like in every industry, there's like a little tip that you pick up that is a key yes. difference. That's the gold I was looking for, and we found it. So there is a difference check, check in the, the MF AA. Yeah, the the um, qualification can equal the the lenders that you are applicable to to write with. So that's very insightful. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so. One thing that intrigues me and has for the last 20 years and will continue for the next 20 is the ability for banks to give me varied serviceability or borrowing capacity numbers. Um, Same situation, uh, same numbers that they're looking for, but their back-end policies and risk for appetite, uh, appetite for risk, sorry, and and everything in their back end basically changes how much they can lend to me, right? We, we talk about interest rates, we talk about fees we pay, we talk about turnaround times to get approvals, we talk about valuations coming in on purchase price. But borrowing capacity can be anywhere from one lender saying I can lend 600000 to another lender saying you can lend a million dollars. Like that's a big big change, isn't it, right? Um, and, and in a lot of cases, that's meant that I'll go with that lender that'll lend me a million, um, regardless of their their rates in the short term, because I know I can change later on. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, no, you, you, you're right. So each lender, I guess, has their own back-end policies. So the way that they look at, you know, applicants' um, living expenses, for example, that changes from one bank to another. The way that a bank will look at um, a client's um, income, for example, like rental income, for example, uh, they will take uh, different percentages. So it's not all uniform from one lender to another. So um, each lender as well will look at um, when they're assessing you on your serviceability, income versus debts, each lender has their own assessment rate. So they, you know, they, they're not, again, they're not all uniform. So some might be assessing you at an interest rate of 55 um, where another lender might be assessing you at 6%. So that's where, you know, you can have very very differences of what your capacity is from one lender to uh, to another where you know maybe should it be uniform across all the lenders maybe um no but, don't do that but then but I, then you I, lose that competition but you, you lose, right. exactly right you lose that competition yeah. of hey this other lender is giving me that million dollar of lending where this other one's more conservative mm. that's probably why they've got more tighter policies yeah. um, because that's that type of, type of client they want they want that more conservative vanilla deal um, so their policies are more tighter sure okay yeah, it uh, just continues to intrigue me how it can be such a vast difference. Like it's not the 620 to 630, it's like 600 to 800. Sort Correct. Of like. Correct. They're big yeah. dollars in ca- in play, aren't they? And it can really affect our strategy. And, and it, it does come back for listeners to say, well, uh, just because they will lend you a million doesn't mean you need to go and spend a million. Correct, correct. So, and that's a conversation that you know you have with clients that they need to be within their own means as well. So, yes, the bank might give you a million, but that's that's the top end of what you can service. Doesn't mean you're going to be 
able to go still go to the movies go still go to yeah. you know to the pub you know that's and that's what you got to consider as well when you're having these conversations that you have you also show clients you show them hey this is the actual repayments so not yet the bank can give me a, a million dollars but then with the actual repayments each month how does that fit into my budget how yeah. does that fit into what i'm going to be spending each month and that's the conversations we have yeah. with the clients okay um just probably i guess a, a closing question around uh, a miscon- another misconception in the in the broking space and in the lending space to do with guarantor loans. So a lot of our listeners are first home buyers or first time investors, and they're looking into guarantor loans to help springboard them in because you know saving a deposit is actually not a very easy task um, to bundle that money. So a way to fast track would be through a guarantor loan. But something I have noticed floating around in the group and just more generally is understanding your options. Say, for example, your guarantor loan, you're looking at mum and dad's house as security to, to help you with the loan. Uh, and mum and dad, um, their lender is, let's just say it's Westpac, but you've established that um, you would like to do your loan through CBA. Is it possible for that to occur? It, it is to keep the, the guarantor's property at Westpac and, and, the, and the, the new applicant's loan at CBA. It can be done where it's it called second mortgage, where CBA is basically going in as a second claim to the guarantor's property at Westpac. Um, it does take a little, little bit more time and effort because it's, 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 it's basically the two different banks got to agree to that transaction that, hey, in the event something happens, CBA will have still a claim to the guarantor's property, um, but obviously Westpac would have first claim to it. Um, but it is possible. Uh, it does take a little bit more work uh, to do between the banks. Uh, so it might take a little bit longer uh, timeframes with an application, but it is possible to do. So the guarantors don't have to actually move their property to CBA, to the new applicant's bank. Um, they can still remain with their their lender. Which, which is quite handy for mum or dad or the guarantor who's delivering that because all the risk is with them and, and they also don't maybe want the hassle sometimes of saying, well, I ha- you have to leave your lender. You've been with them for 30 years and, and they're loyal. So, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good one to have. So um, now tell me, um, again, I'll run a scenario by you, Randy. So I, I buy a buy a house or it's under offer and I'm, I'm going through my uh, process to – through to settlement and I find that the interest rate, my variable rate increases between accepting the offer and settlement in say 42 days, right? It's gone from maybe 2.5 to 3% in your example earlier on in the conversation. What can I do to secure that 2.5 because I'm still at the mercy of the banks, aren't I, until I actually settle those funds correct so in, in a normal transaction with a with an application and then two settlement the interest rates that you apply for that will apply will be the ones on the day of settlement that's the day that the the rates will, will be applicable there is the options of looking at the type of product that's a fixed rate product where you can actually um, what's called rate lock that rate um, on either on an application or when you're looking to formalize the the loan when you find the property you can pay a rate lock to the bank, and uh, where that rate is locked in. So then, okay. so then it's not applic- it's not the rate that's applicable on the day of settlement. It's the the, the rate that will be applicable is when that um, form or payments processed by the bank is when it will be locked in. For you. Sure. 
So that sounds like a good idea, um, especially in, in these current times. What what would that cost a client on average? Yeah, so it, it's, it can vary. So some lenders at the moment is, is probably the lower end is about $375, can go up to $1,000 is, is, is a flat fee. Um, some lenders actually charge percentage. So um, 0.15% of the actual fixed portion um, or loan amount is what they will charge um, as their uh, lock-in fee. Um, there are some lenders out there as well that actually don't charge a rate lock fee, that they will actually do it themselves when the loan's formally approved, that that loan that's been a fixed rate loan um, will be locked in from the day of that it was formally approved. Um, they'll automatically apply a 90-day rate lock onto that um Okay. Fixed loan. Yeah. So confirming that that's on a variable loan, not a fixed rate loan. No. So these all, the rate lock you can only apply that to a fixed rate loan. So the variable rate product, um, which is different to I guess to fixed rate products where the variable rate can go up and down. That one you cannot lock in. Okay. So that one that you're at the mercy of the the banks and you know how they increase their their rates up or down. Yeah. But to give clients, you know, a bit more assurance of the rate, what the repayments are going to be, that's where you potentially would look at a fixed rate product where you, and that's where you can apply uh, a rate lock okay. to that. Makes sense. And certainly something worth considering, yeah. particularly if you look at it, I assume, you know, over the lifetime of that fixed term, you know, the yeah. potential fee for the rate lock would be well and truly saved um, yeah. instead of it Correct. increasing. And- yeah, correct. And, and to mention as well, like uh, I think a lot of clients that I, I see don't always know that they can actually do a split. So let's say you need 500000 lending to buy a property, you can actually do a portion variable and a portion fixed. So you can do 300000 on the fixed rate and then 200000 on the variable rate. So that way you have a bit more flexibility of, you know, you know what you can do with your your repayments. Obviously, you're, you're spread across the two different products. Um, with the variable product, traditionally you've got more you know more flexibility with extra repayments. You've got no restrictions on paying extra on that portion. You can also have a, an offset account attached to that variable portion. Where the fixed rate product is got you know you're a lot more you know uh, restricted of what you can do with that because you got you can't really you've got restrictions on how much extra you can pay onto that fixed portion. You normally you don't have an offset account on that fixed portion as well. Okay, and and can I have my cake and eat it? So can I fully offset the the funds um, on a fixed loan throughout the duration of say two or three years that I fix the loan in? No, so the fixed rate loan don't have offset accounts. There's probably there's probably one or two lenders maybe out there that do allow a hundred percent offset on a fixed rate product, but traditionally the the fixed rate product. Um, cannot have an offset. Okay, so there are some lenders out there that will fully offset a yeah. fixed loan. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's they're rare. So it's, it's probably one or two in the whole market yeah. that offer that product. Mm, good to know. Yeah, some tips of gold in there today, Emily. Most definitely, um, particularly for those who are considering, you know, getting into the property market, thinking about engaging a broker to make that possible, um, or even, you know, maybe the concept of a broker is something that's brand new to you. You're, you're um, taking your first plunge. Hopefully, that's given you some food for thought of what to be looking for, um, some terminology to be aware of, and um, just some general protocol as well to get an insight because you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. And if anyone's out there thinking, yeah, I need a new broker or a broker, uh, be sure to go to Sort Your Money Out, Get Help, I think it is, Emily. And, It'll be uh, in the show notes. In, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be somewhere there in the show notes. We don't do the back end stuff for any, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Until next time, folks. Indeed. Have a good week. We'll be back soon. 
we acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.